Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. That's right. This train is building up ahead of steam each and every day that we are on. So what I want you to do is grab your ticket, get on board, enjoy the ride. This train is going to take you on a journey, turn some corners, and maybe pick up a few passengers along the way. So what do we have on tap for today's episode? Even I don't know that. So the best way to find out is tune in and enjoy the ride of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. And we're about ready to get this train on the track. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. It's your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Bring you another episode. And I'm going a different route this time. Very seldom that I talk football, but off of the Yahoo Sports Wire, we have a story here. Dwayne The Rock Johnson's XFL strikes a deal with the NFL. So let's just dive right on into this story right now. Dwayne The Rock Johnson his dream of playing pro football was derailed by injury years ago, but today he has a chance to change the game from the front office. Former WWE star turned Hollywood megastar and entrepreneur signed a deal for his XFL football league, which he salvaged by buying it out of bankruptcy in 2020 to become a live research and development lab for the NFL. The deal will allow the NFL to test new initiatives ranging from on-field technology to proposed rule changes and even trial runs for new officials before it has to implement them in NFL games on Sunday afternoon. In exchange, the XFL, which failed at becoming a competitor for the country's biggest pro football league in two previous iterations, gets the NFL's blessing and tacit support. Financial terms of the deal weren't disclosed, so there's no indication of how, whether the NFL is pouring enough cash into the XFL to help it stay afloat after its scheduled relaunch next year. The XFL was originally slated to relaunch this spring, but that timeline was pushed back by the pandemic. But with the R&D deal, 
the NFL has a built-in interest in seeing the XFL succeed as a test kitchen of sorts for the evolution of football as opposed to viewing it as a competitor to squashed out of existence. That Johnson and his business partner, Danny Garcia, bought the XFL and are in a deal with the NFL is ironic on multiple levels. The XFL was originally founded by WWE Chairman Vince McMahon, who was Johnson's employer as The Rock, a charismatic pro wrestler who became the promotion's biggest star in the early 2000s. Johnson, who played college football at the University of Miami, parlayed his WWE fame into a career as a blockbuster action hero who Forbes list as Hollywood's highest paid actor and the 10th highest earning celebrity in the world. The deal also comes as the NFL wrestles with a lawsuit and more controversy over race, specifically diversity in its hiring practices at the executive level. Johnson is biracial. His father, former pro wrestler Rocky Johnson, was black, and his mother, Ada Johnson, is of Samoan descent. So there you have some news linking the XFL along with the NFL. So as this story develops and as things get underway with the XFL, it remains to be seen just how it will survive and just how much the NFL will keep it afloat, which once again is ironic that now look like what was tabbed to be a competitor is now pretty much look like it's under the wings thanks to deals being made between the XFL and NFL. So my question that I'm gonna pose to you is how long do you think the XFL will last and just how much will the XFL their new technology and rules that they'll be trying, how much of an impact will it have on the NFL? And how much will the NFL adopt ideas from the XFL? And when it's all said and done, how much of a deal financially is made between the NFL and the XFL? Something tells me this is going to be a nice partnership and I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a developmental league. So now I guess the real question is, we have the USFL coming up. How long does the USFL last? Because there are no deals made between the USFL and the NFL. So could this be a situation where maybe down the road, maybe the XFL and USFL, will maybe they will form a partnership and make this to where it's all one big developmental league for the NFL? Because some would tend to say that college football with this transfer portal, transfer portal, and now NIL is pretty much the, the developmental league for the NFL. Because at best, in college football, you have to at least go to school three years before you can declare eligible for the NFL draft. So there is a lot to be said and a lot to be seen. And basically there's a lot of questions and probably not enough answers right now. So it's pretty much just wait and see what develops. But a deal right now between the XFL and the NFL, something tells me that at some point this could end up being a developmental league 
between the XFL and the NFL and maybe a way to start changing some hiring practices in the NFL, not just on the sidelines, but also from an executive standpoint. So as you're listening at this podcast, feel free to chime in and leave questions and comments because I would love to get your feedback on this as well. There was also another story of interest, and it had something to do with, of course, HBCU. You know, I can't do anything without mentioning the HBCUs. And it pretty much centered around the HBCU Legacy Bowl takeaway. There was a game, the HBCU Legacy Bowl, takeaways and standouts. So let's just take a look at this as we're pretty much talking football in this first segment on this podcast. HBCU Legacy Bowl sought to showcase much of the draft-eligible talent coming out of HBCU conferences this year. The game itself was a success from the week-long combined-style practices to giving players access to additional resources such as career fairs. Saturday's games saw Team Gaither, constructed with mostly MEAC and CIAA players, topple Team Robinson, constructed with mostly SWAC and SIAC players. Here are some takeaways from the game. The quarterback to watch wasn't who you thought. Much of the fanfare coming into this game at the quarterback spot was on Alabama A&M quarterback and 2021 SWAC Offensive Player of the Year, Akil Glass. By the numbers, Glass didn't have a good game, 4 or 15 for 51 yards. Numbers don't tell you the full story, though, as his targeted receivers suffered from a case of the drops several times. Glass was largely accurate on his passes, especially on one downfield pass where only his receiver could catch the ball only for the receiver to let it slip through his arms. Glass exhibited great pocket presence and was patient even with an offensive line that struggled for much of the afternoon. The triplet of team gather quarterbacks were efficient with all three players directing scoring drives. Offensive MVP Jeremy Hickbottom, Tennessee State, started and struggled early, but recovered to lead a scoring drive in the second half. Ultimately, he went 9 for 15 for 72 yards, 25 yards rushing, and a rushing touchdown. The 2021 MEAC Offensive Player of the Year, Jawan Pudi Carter, Norfolk State, went 3 for 6, passing for 50 yards, tacking on an additional 17 yards rushing including a rushing touchdown. The CIAA's 2021 Offense Player of the Year, Bryce Witt Chowan, led all quarterbacks with 15 of 21 passing, 131 yards, and a touchdown, and an additional 32 yards rushing. Gaither's defensive lineman harassed Robinson's backfield all afternoon. Team Robinson couldn't get much 
going on offense because of the aggressive Gaither defensive line. Scouts watched defensive lineman Deshaun Dixon, Norfolk State, all week, and he didn't disappoint with his quick recovery speed on tracking rushers down and notching one-and-a-half tackles for loss. Lineman Javon Frazier, Virginia State, Christopher Myers, Norfolk State, and Antonio Golden, Fort Valley State, all notched a sack. And those numbers pale the one sack registered by Team Robinson, Lauren Young, Langston. Team Gather turned the first half into a turnover party. Team Robinson's struggles in the passing game where receivers couldn't haul in receptions also turned into problems holding on to the ball. First quarter, Tevin Singleton, Bowie State, recovered a fumble forced by Aaron Howard, Howard University. In the second quarter, Wesley Bowers, Bowie State, forced a fumble that was even that was then recovered by Javon Frazier, Virginia State. Those two plays killed drives that Team Robinson needed points on just to keep up with Team Gaither. Certain defensive players stood out as the game wore on. Team Robinson's defense spent a lot of time on the field, 39 minutes to be exact, and that gave a lot of players time to show scouts what they can do. Florida A&M teammates Antoine Collier, the game's defensive MVP, and Derek Mayweather did about all they could to try to stem the tide and were the game's two top tacklers by statistics. In fact, the combination of those two plus fellow FAMU defensive tackle Savion Williams combined for a quarter of Team Robinson's total tackle output, showing how physical FAMU's defense was in 2021. The McLean and McDaniel tandem was worth the price of admission. Marquise McDaniel, Southern, and Ryan McDaniel, North Carolina Central, were the trusty targets of three team-gather quarterbacks. Quarterbacks targeted Marquise McDaniel eight times, and he caught seven passes for 84 yards. Ryan McDaniel was right behind him with five targets, four catches, and 51 yards. More impressively, both receivers who stand at least six foot two caught passes at various points of the, on the field and functioned very well as possession receivers. Boneless, the game winner from this game was the CIAA. The conclusion may be an unpopular opinion, but the CIAA's players led the HBCU Legacy Bowl in total offensive output. Wit were involved in both turnovers in the game, Frazier, Bowers, Singleton, and scoring, Khalil Wilkins, Bowie State. Team Gathers defense included Devin Hunt, Shaw, tying for the most single tackles on that team with four as well. Kicker Jefferson Souza, Virginia Union, converted on a 21-yard on a 21-yard field goal and converted on one of three PATs. The MIAC and SWAC received much publicity during the year, but the CIAA clearly outshone its Division II counterpart, the SIAC, and showed that its schools are recruiting individual talent on par with its FCS competitors. So there you have some XFL, NFL, and some HBCU Legacy Bowl all within this first segment. So what I'm going to do now is I am going to pause and take a break. 
And when I come back, I will have some more for you. So stay tuned. It is A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right. Driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or hit me up at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship ran on this podcast. Once again, a train sports talk podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Whoop, whoop! Welcome back once again to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. Giving you the information that matters the most is train right? So you all know if you were watching any college basketball over the weekend, you've seen an ugly scene that played out between Michigan Wolverines and the Wisconsin Badgers. A Wolverine and a Badger. That just sounds like two creatures that just don't get along. Well, not only does it play out in the wildlife kingdom, it played out in humanistic form. Yes, that's right. Things got ugly at the end of the Wolverines, and the Badgers. And it wasn't the players that instigated. It was the coaches. So just what happened? Well, wouldn't you like to know? It happened between Juwan Howard 
coast guard of the Michigan and of the Wisconsin Badgers. And I am trying to effort the audio so you can get the gist of what happened. So just bear with me and we will effort pulling that audio up. Then we can go ahead and lead in with our story. So, Michigan coach Juwan Howard basically is suspended for the rest of the regular season after hitting a Wisconsin system. So, here we go with this practice. What one moment as we pull that up. And here we go. Well, that is not it. So we will get you the gist of what happened. At the end of the game, there is this thing called the handshake line. And 9.9 times out of 10, usually, it's pretty civilized. I said pretty civilized. But to give you the gist of what just what really took place, in the last few seconds of the game, I guess Juwan Howard had his team in press mode, they were still doing full court press, you know. Basically, we're going to play until the final buzzer. Well, to infuriate things even more so, or the start of things escalating, Wisconsin then decided, okay, if you're going to press us, we're going to call a timeout. And I guess that kind of drew the ire of one Juwan Howard. And in the handshake line, initially, Juwan Howard was walking past and wasn't going to shake hands until he got stopped. And right about here is where the excitement starts, right here. As he was walking past, and I want to say that the coach for Wisconsin, and I might draw some. Huh? He basically pulled a girl move. You know how some females tend to, when you're in the heat of battle, when you decide, you know what, I'm going to just walk away. But instead of them letting you walk away, they decide they want to either get in front of you and block you from walking away, or they'll come up behind you and grab you and say, don't you walk away from me when I'm talking to you. In essence, that's what pretty much what Coach Guard did. And as Juwan Howard was walking by, he grabbed him, and that's when things escalated. 
and I am still trying to get that audio. This is why I'm just basically sitting up here rambling. And I'm looking at looking at the practice take place, but I just can't get the audio to come up. So that's why I'm trying to talk and fill in this dead space. I pretty much told you what happened. though. And the only reason you're not hearing it because it is not cooperating cooperating with me. Technology. It never cooperates when you want it to. So for those actions, for those actions, what he had ensued is Michigan men's basketball coach Jawan Howard has been suspended for five games, which accounts for the remainder of the regular season for his role in Sunday's brawl at the conclusion of the team's loss to Wisconsin. The Big Ten announced Monday. Howard struck a Wisconsin assistant coach during the postgame handshake, sparking a short brawl between the two teams. It has been determined that there was a clear violation of the Big Ten's conference sportsmanship policy by Michigan men's basketball head coach Jerron Howard, the conference said in a statement. Additionally, the University of Wisconsin men's basketball head coach Greg Gard was in violation of the conference sportsmanship policy. In addition to the suspension, Howard is also facing a $40,000 fine. Gard was fined $10,000 but will not face any suspension. So now, my question is going to be this. Should Greg Gard at least face a one-game suspension because, in essence, he instigated the whole thing? You may agree that he did, and you may agree that he didn't, but the bottom line is, as I use my analogy between the female that won't let the male walk away, if Greg Gard sees that Juwan Howard is going to walk away, let the man walk. He is not required to shake your hand. As a matter of fact, anyone that knows anything about Keyshawn Johnson, in a former NFL player, you can catch him on Keyshawn J. Will and uh, Max on ESPN Sports Radio. He was a he was anti shaking hands at the end of a game, win, lose, or draw, especially after a loss. His, his mentality was you just whipped our asses why do i want to shake your hand i'm i'm ready to go to the locker room get out of these clothes and get ready to go do my own thing i don't want to shake your hand now during the off season if we boys we boys but out there on the field you wearing a different color uniform than i am i could care less about shaking your hand but that's Keyshawn johnson and right now the biggest thing going on now is should the handshake line be dismantled 
I think if anyone has the post game right, it's the NFL. There is no handshake line in the NFL. If players want to go socialize with players from their opposing team, someone that they know, then fine and dandy. If you can do it or you don't have to, it's not a prerequisite. Maybe that's what college basketball should go to. As a matter of fact, I'm just curious, when did the handshake line in college basketball start? Because I watched enough college basketball in my time growing up to know that that has not always been. Now, I know they do it in high school. You know, they're promoting sportsmanship. I get that. But you don't see the handshake line in the NBA. You don't see no handshake line in the NFL. They don't even do no handshake line in Major League Baseball. Matter of fact, baseball players, they don't even go and shake hands with each other after the game. They're in their dugouts. They're going on to the locker room after the game. But that's the question. Should the handshake line be a thing of the past? And should Greg Gard have at least been suspended one game? Because he's the one that escalated the situation. $10,000? Okay, fine. Pardon the pun. Yeah, fine. But there should also be a suspension of a game. Now, there was no disciplinary action was announced for Badger's assistant coach, Joe Krabenhoff, who was struck by Howard on the altercation. Three players, Michigan's Terrence Williams II, Musa Debate, and Wisconsin's Jacoby Neath were suspended for one game for their roles in the altercation. Many members of the bench area for both teams, including assistant coaches, did not represent the level of sportsmanship that is expected from the Big Ten Conference and its members' institutions, the Big Ten said. Michigan said in a statement that it has fully accepted all disciplinary actions handed down from the Big Ten Conference. Associate Head Coach Phil Martelli will take over head coaching duties while Howard serves his suspension. The Big Ten tournament is scheduled to begin March 9th. With five games left to play, Michigan, 14-11, sits in eighth place in the conference and is currently fighting for a spot in the NCAA tournament. Following Michigan's 77-63 loss on, to Wisconsin on Sunday, Howard was slow to get in line for the postgame handshake. It appeared he was going to walk by guard without shaking his hand, but guard stopped Howard and the two began arguing. Both men appeared to grab each other's shirt, and Howard pointed his finger near guard's face. As the argument escalated, players and assistant coaches, including Krabenhoff, began crowding around the two men. Some were trying to separate the two head coaches. But Krabenhoff appeared to be arguing with Howard as well. Howard then struck Krabenhoff in the face, leading to a short brawl between the two teams in which several players were also seen throwing punches. In a post-game press conference, Howard confirmed that he was angry with a late timeout guard call when Wisconsin was leading by 15 points with 15 seconds left in the game and said the post-game interaction excavated the situation. Someone had touched me, and I think it was very uncalled for for them to touch me as we were verbalizing and communicating with one another, he said. So that's what ended up happening. That's what escalated it. 
Guard told CBS he called the timeout to afford his backups more time to avoid a 10-second violation. We only had four seconds to get the ball past to have court, he said. I didn't want to put my bench guys in that position of scrambling, so I took the timeout. He did not like that when he came through the handshake line. On Monday, Howard apologized for the incident in a statement. I am offering my sincerest apology to my players and their families, my staff, my family, and the Michigan fans around the world, he said. I would like to personally apologize to Wisconsin's assistant coach, Joe Krabenhoff, and his family, too. I speak a lot about being a Michigan man and representing the University of Michigan with class and pride. I did not do that, nor did I set the right example in the right way for my student-athletes yet. I will learn from my mistakes, and this mistake, mistake will, not, will never happen again. No excuses. So there, the apology has been given. Hopefully all is well. And hopefully in due time, as he said, he can learn from this and work on what I see is his temperament because this is not the first incident Jawan Howard has had. So is this a black versus white issue? It's funny how we tend to do that. No, it's not a black and white issue. What it is, it's an issue of a coach being punished because of past incidents that he's also had. He also had an incident with Maryland coach Mark Turgeon two years back. So it's like Juwan is getting the reputation of a guy that has a problem with controlling his temper. And I believe that's the main reason he got hit with such a five-game suspension along with a $40,000 fine. However, I'm not going to let Greg Gard off the hook, though, either. Yes, he got a $10,000 fine, but I think he should at least have a one, if not a two-game suspension. So, my poll question on this issue would be, should Greg Gard have also served one, if not a two-game suspension? Well, what I'm going to do right here is I am going to take another break. And when I come back, I will have some more for you. So. Stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. And I hope you are enjoying this comment thus far. These, this content thus far. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, wanting to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or hit me up at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship 
rant on this podcast. Once again, A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. You're listening to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Sports Talk Podcast. Yes, this is a jazzy night. Yes. The sounds of Jeanette Harris. Patron. My friend and my brother. Marcus Anderson. Yes, I just had to put that in. As we get back into my last segment here. Talking a little bit of WNBA news. Imagine that. I know there are some out there listening like, dude, dude, why are you talking women's sports? Because it's my podcast, that's why. And I think those women should be respected for what they do. Anyway, Sparks coach Derek Fisher lauds the addition of Liz Cambage, who sources say took below maximum salary to sign with Los Angeles. Los Angeles coach, Los Angeles Sparks coach and general manager, Derek Fisher, said in a statement that he thinks the addition of Liz Cambage, whose sources say took below maximum salary to sign with the team, puts LA in position to win another WNBA title. The Sparks officially announced the signing free agent Cambridge on last Friday, adding the six foot eight center to a front line that includes former MVP Nakia Agumake and her sister Chiney. Details of Cambridge's contract were not announced, but sources told ESPN that she will sign for one year at 170000 the WNBA's Supermax salary for 2022 is 228,094 and the maximum is 196,267. Cambridge drew attention via social media earlier this month when she tweeted, "Ah yes, the at WNBA for a head coach can get paid four times the highest paid player's Supermax contract." in reference to new Las Vegas Aces coach Becky Hammond earning an annual salary of $1 million, more than four times the top salary a player is eligible for. WNBA player salaries are set through the league's collective bargaining with the players' union, and the coaches' salaries are not. Hammond is currently still in assistant with the NBA's San Antonio Spurs. Cambridge's addition is a big boost for the Sparks who went 12-20 and last season and missed the playoffs for just the fifth time in the franchise's 25-year history. Los Angeles won WNBA titles in 2001, 
2002 and 2016. It's always been my dream to wear the purple and gold and play in L.A., Cambridge said in a statement. This is an incredible opportunity to compete for a championship. I'm ready to pour everything I have into this team and the legendary Sparks fans. Cambridge has won, has worn number eight throughout her WNBA career, but will not do so with the Sparks as a tribute to Delisha Milton-Jones, who was announced Monday as an inductee into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame this summer. Milton-Jones wore the number eight in her 11 seasons with Los Angeles, which included two WNBA titles. Cambridge was pictured with the place card number zero in a graphic released by the Sparks, but her actual number for this season has not been announced. The Sparks organization is ecstatic to partner with the dynamic person and player in Liz Cambridge, who will elevate the franchise on and off the court, Fisher said. At her best, Liz is the most dominant women's basketball player in the world. She scores efficiently inside, can stretch the floor, and is a good passer. She's also one of the league's best rim protectors and rebounders at a high level. The addition of Liz, along with our other offseason moves, puts us in a position to compete for a WNBA championship. Cambridge 30 was drafted at number two in the 2011, in 2011 by the Tulsa Shock, but she played just that season and 2013 with them. She returned to the WNBA in 2018 with the Shock, having moved to Dallas, where they became the Wings. She led the league in scoring 23 points per game and was an MVP candidate but requested a trade for 2019. Cambridge was dealt to Los Angeles and helped was to Las Vegas, excuse me, and helped the Aces make the WNBA semifinals in 2019. She sat on the 2020 season on a medical exemption after having been ill with COVID-19 and returned to the Aces last season. She averaged 14.2 points and 8.2 rebounds as Las Vegas fell in the WNBA semifinals. So, keeping up with the theme of the WNBA, WNBA Free Agency 22 grades. Phoenix Mercury, Seattle Storm, Los Angeles Sparks score high marks. WNBA Free Agency has become almost a season of its own for a few weeks every February since salary changes in the collective bargaining agreement in 2020 enhanced player movement. Most of the moves have been made now with one major exception free agent guard Courtney Vandersloot of the 2021 champion Chicago Sky has yet to indicate her plans for 2022. Will she return to the only team that she has played for in the WNBA after after being drafted third overall in 2011? Will she go elsewhere? Or will she sit out the season after overseas play? With a hard salary cap, teams sometimes have to be creative and our hope that certain players might take less than their market value in order to have a chance at a championship or to play somewhere they just want to be. Planning ahead, gambling with draft picks, and figuring out how best to build a culture takes a lot of skill, and it can all be undone by injuries. But for where things stand now, here is a grade of each franchise based on its moves so far in the offseason with both signings and trades. The Phoenix Mercury, they get an A-minus 
they get an A plus. The Mercury were very disappointed after coming close to the franchise's fourth title last season, but losing in the WNBA Finals to Chicago. Diana Taurasi turns 40 in June and is under contract for this season. Presuming that Taurasi is coming back, Phoenix wanted to give her as good a chance as possible to get another championship. The Mercury have done that. They signed free agent center Tina Charles, reportedly well under her market value, who is coming off an outstanding season at Washington. 23.4 points per game, 9.6 rebounds per game. At 33, Charles is seeking her first WNBA championship. Phoenix traded guard Rhea Hartley and draft picks to get guard Diamond DeShields in a three-way deal with Chicago and Indiana. DeShields has had her ups and downs, but when she's on, she's a strong acquisition, and she brings championship experience from last year with the Sky. The Mercury also brought back guards Sophie Cunningham, Kia Nurse, and Shea Petty. Phoenix still has center Brittany Griner and guard Skylar Diggins-Smith as star-level players, and the Mercury have seen great growth from forward Brianna Turner, too. New Mercury coach Vanessa Nygaard has all the talent she could hope for. Seattle Storm, A+. With the news that guard Sue Bird was returning for a 19th WNBA season, it was just a matter of who was going to stay with her. It turned out all the key storm free agents did. Forward Brianna Stewart, guard Jewel Lloyd, and center Mercedes Russell. The storm also signed veteran guard Brianna January, who helped Connecticut get the best record in the league last season and obtained forward Gabby Williams in a trade with Los Angeles. The storm looked last looked last year like they could make a run at defending their 2020 WNBA title. Then Stewart suffered a foot injury and did not play in the final two regular season games or Seattle's playoff game, which it lost in overtime to Phoenix. It wasn't certain then whether Bird would return, but after that news came in January, the other pieces started to fall into place. As is the case with Tarasi in Phoenix, Bird has the team around her to win another championship. Los Angeles Sparks, they get a grade of an A. As disappointing as last season was for the Sparks, as they missed the playoffs for just fifth time in the franchise history, this offseason has been pretty invigorating. Los Angeles hasn't announced it yet, but sources told ESPN's Ramona Shelburne that free agent center Liz Cambridge will sign with the Sparks. The 6'8 center averaged 14.2 points and 8.2 rebounds last season with Las Vegas. Cambridge has played just five seasons in the WNBA since being drafted in 2011. But when she has been in the league, she has produced. Los Angeles signed free agent guard Jordan Canada, who won two titles in Seattle and returns to Southern California, where she grew up and went to UCLA. The Sparks also made trades to get Kennedy Carter, a talented guard who is looking for a fresh start after a difficult time with Atlanta last season, and forward. Katie Lou Samuelson, who might finally find the right home on her fourth team since being drafted number four in 2019. So the Sparks could be back in business this season with these additions and healthy seasons from sisters Nika and Chaney 
Aguamake, or how they might face chemistry issues. But after what happened last season, a roll of the dice was necessary for Los Angeles. The Connecticut Sun, they get an A minus. The Sun won the regular season last year with a 26 and 6 record, but fell in the semifinals to Chicago. There wasn't necessarily a lot that needed to be changed in the offseason. The right formula was there in 2021, even if it didn't work out for the franchise's first title. Step one was signing core player and reigning MVP, John Quayle Jones, which the Sun did. She averaged 19.4 points and 11.2 rebounds last season. Connecticut didn't resign guard January, who went to Seattle, but brought back guard Courtney Williams, who previously played for the Sun from 2016 to 2019. She spent the past two years in Atlanta, but the dream moved on after Williams' involvement in a fight and subsequent video she made detailing the incident. Williams apologized, and son, coach, general manager Kurt Miller said he is confident that she understands the expectations Connecticut has for her. He also said her former son teammates were eager to get her back. Again, there wasn't going to be a lot of movement by Connecticut this offseason, but the Sun earned their A because they don't seem to have lost any ground after such a good 2021 season. What I'm going to do is I'm going to table the rest of these uh, grades on these teams as I'm going to bring this train into the station. Heads up on tomorrow's podcast. I will finish giving you the grades of what these teams have done in the offseason. Also, I will be bringing you more on the Marlon Briscoe story as I will be, as I will be returning to the Moments in Black History Sport, the Marlon Briscoe story on how he became first black quarterback to start in the NFL or AFL, however you want to look at it, as he was a starter for the Denver Broncos. So, until next time, remember you're always welcome on A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. You're always welcome to ride along with me. So, until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. I've had a blast letting you ride on the train with me. Until next time, stay blessed.